The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. The following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. By tomorrow, I will rule the world! Hey! You think he's gone? He's not gone! That's the whole point! He's never gone! Is this some radical new therapy? You see? Hey! Oh, well, I mustn't have been paying attention When you were just talking to me Do you think that you could repeat the question? Alrighty, let's get this show on the road, shall we? Hi, how you guys doing? My name is Tom Duggan here with the Paying Attention Podcast. Hi, it's up Two Guys Smoke Shop at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. I want to thank our fine producer, Ben, today, Ben Kitchen. Put him through the ringer today. I got a bunch of videos we're going to run. It's the first segment of the show. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Sunday's uh, pro-police, pro-Trump rally in Wilmington. And uh, the guy that we're calling Antifa Pussy Dude, um, and his disruption of the uh, of the event, and his his really bizarre recounting of the event afterwards, given how much video there is of the event up online. Um, we're also going to talk about a couple of other things, and then uh, in the second segment of the show, we've got Brett Ruman is here. Did I pronounce it right? Okay. Finally got one name right after 25 years in radio. Um, and he, he wrote a, uh, a story for us this month in the Valley Patriot. You see it on the front page of the paper. Uh, where is Andy Puglisi? Everybody remembers, uh, everybody should remember if you're from the Merrimack Valley. Uh, when I was a kid, I think, I, I don't know what, I can't remember what year, what year was it, 74 you said? 76. 76. So I was probably like eight or nine when it happened. Um, so I was right around the right around the age of Andy Puglisi when he disappeared uh, three, three, three or four houses down from where I lived. So I remember this story growing up. I'm not an expert at it. I didn't investigate it like Brett did. Um, but I do remember it, and I thought we would have Brett come up here. And he's pretty controversial because I guess Melanie Perkins, who's formerly from Channel 5, I think, did a documentary on this. She's very upset about what Brett's doing. Very, very upset. Because his investigation has unearthed some information that's a little different than hers. And, you know, people who are in the media and people who are writers, and I know this because I'm in the media and I'm a writer, um, they get very territorial about the information and, and, the, uh, and the work that they do. And when somebody goes out and spends an awful lot of time, effort, and energy putting a documentary together, and then somebody else comes along and does their own investigation and finds something a little bit different, even just a little bit different, people flip out. So quite, I'm going to tell you right out of the gate before we bring him up here in the second segment, I don't know who's right. And quite frankly, that my job is not to determine who's right. So I'm getting emails from Melanie Perkins and other people saying, you need to correct this immediately. No, that's not my job. My job is not to correct things that people say that might be incorrect. My job is to eat, keep asking questions, put out the information, let the people at home decide what is correct. Maybe Melanie Perkins is right. Maybe Brett Ruman is right. That's up to you to decide. That's not for, that's not for, see, I'm not CNN. I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm not here to tell you what's right and what's not right. I'll give you my opinion, but as far as factually concerned, my job is to present the information from the people who dug up the information and let you decide what, if, whether their conclusions are correct or they're not. Um, 
So let's start with our, our first story. Uh, this is quite, quite possibly the greatest piece of video and audio of Donald Trump in the last four years. Now, I mean, he said a lot of stuff that's made me laugh. He said a lot of stuff that I thought was the best thing ever. But I, I just, I can't imagine anything tops someone who's supposed to be a professional reporter asking the president if he believes in cannibalism. <laughs> I just, Ben, roll this up. Let's, let's, uh, let's take a look at this. Theory is this belief that you are secretly saving the world from this satanic cult of pedophiles and cannibals. Does that sound like something you are behind? Or well, I, haven't, <laughs> I haven't heard that, but uh, is that supposed to be a bad thing? Or a good thing? I mean, you know, if, uh, if I can help save the world from problems, I'm from willing cannibals. to do it. I'm willing to put myself out there. And we are, actually. We're saving the world from a radical left philosophy that will destroy this country. And when this country is gone, the rest of the world would follow. The rest of the world would follow. So, so this is what I love about the press, because they're so monumentally stupid. They are what I call overeducated idiots. Only someone with a master's degree from Brown could ask a question like that. Only, only someone with a doctorate from Harvard could ask a stupid question like that. To think, like, she's actually sitting there. She's in the White House. She's got the president of the United States, the most powerful man on the planet. She could ask anything she wants about troop movements in Syria, about the economy, about things that actually affect regular people's lives. No, 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 no. No, her biggest concern is... Does the president believe that he's out there to save us from cannibals? No, seriously, that's her, that's her question. And you can hear him laughing his ass off while he's trying to answer it. Like the old Donald Trump would have said, that's the dumbest fucking question I've ever heard in my life. That's what the old Donald, this is the new and improved Donald Trump. And he's just laughing through the whole thing because he just, I know that he just can't believe how stupid that question was. He's been asked a lot of stupid questions. I wa- I've watched literally every single press conference from the day he announced. I have my DVR set. Anytime Trump comes up, I get it on my DVR. And like last night, we were out feeding the homeless for like eight hours. When I got home, I pulled it up. He did a press conference yesterday. I watched it at like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. I could not believe what I was watching. Then you flip over to CNN, and they are, they are just obsessed about what you believe. They're obsessed with what you believe. I don't understand. I don't know why Anderson Cooper gives two shits about what Tom Duggan believes. Like, why do you care if I believe in QAnon? Quite frankly, I don't even know who QAnon is. I haven't followed QAnon. I'm not a believer or a non-believer. I don't know anything about QAnon other than that, that he's out there and that CNN says it's an evil conspiracy theory, so there's got to be something to whoever QAnon is. I would believe QAnon, who I don't know anything about before I'd believe CNN. So I guess, I don't know, they, 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 some lady that's running for Congress, maybe in Georgia somewhere, um, is a big fan of QAnon, and they spent five segments yesterday on CNN that this Congress lady, she believes in QAnon. She believes in, in cannibalism and conspiracy pedophile theories. And, and they're going on and on because, God forbid, she believes something that Anderson Cooper doesn't fucking agree with. I, I put on Don Lemon, and he's just beside himself that anybody could believe such things. What do you care? 
Like, what is it? What does it matter to Anderson Cooper's life or his job or Don Lemon or Wolf Blitzer or any of these guys? What does it matter to them if someone else believes something that they think is ridiculous? That it's worth segment after segment after segment after segment. And I keep hearing QAnon, QAnon, and I, I refuse to look it up. I know it's all on the internet. I know it's all out there. I refuse to clutter my brain with such idiocy. Not that QAnon is idiot, but the controversy over it is, is, idiots, is idiocy. Who cares what they believe? I've got a friend. I said this when Neil Perry was here one day. I've got a friend that thinks we never went to the moon, right? If I told you what his job was, you would fall off your chair. If I told you what this guy did for a living, you would fall off your chair. That somebody who really believes that we never went to the moon, that it was a conspiracy, has this, has this particular kind of job. And I'm not going to because I don't want to out him. But he's a great guy. Hang out with him all the time. Helps people. Helps us with the homeless. Helps us when we're doing scholarships. Helps us raise money for the poor. The guy's a good guy. I'm not going to not be his friend because he believes something I don't believe. And by the way, I wasn't there when we went to the moon. He might be right. Maybe we didn't. Maybe it was all done in a Hollywood studio. I kind of think we went to the moon, but again, I wasn't there. I can't say 100%, right? Going back to the Andy Puglisi thing that we're going to talk about in the next segment, I wasn't there when he was kidnapped. I don't know. Melanie Perkins wasn't there. She doesn't know. With, through the investigations throughout the years, we've got a pretty good idea, but you can't say for sure 100% that one person's right, the other person's wrong. And when did it become such a horrible thing to believe things other people don't believe in this country? Just imagine, this woman could have asked him anything and she asked him about cannibalism. Like, she really thinks that, like, he, maybe he believes there's a secret cult of cannibals in the Democrat Party. Like, they hate this guy so much and they're so overly educated and dumb that they don't realize the rest of the world, the normal people who just go about their lives every day and don't involve themselves in all this stuff and flip on the news once in a while, laugh at such idiocy and foolishness. Man, if I'm sitting in the White House and I could ask Donald Trump one question, it wouldn't be that. I wouldn't be asking him about cannibals. It wouldn't be, I, I mean, seriously. And then I'm thinking, like, as she's asking the question, I'm thinking, okay, maybe she's joking. Like, maybe this is one of those One American Network uh, anchors, and they're trying to, like, feed him a good line. But no, no, it was like, I don't know if she was like ABC or CBS. I don't know what, what, I don't know what station she was from. NBC News. She was from NB NBC News. Used to be the most, uh, the, the best news source in the country, in the world, in the history of mankind. NBC News used to be the most reliable source for news. I was growing up, I used to watch NBC News. I used to watch Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite. And I used to watch C NBC News. I used to watch CBS News. Now, they're nothing but puppets for the Democrat Party. That's all they are. Other than Fox and One American Network, the rest of them, they're all just puppets for the, for the Democrat Party. It's, it's staggering. <clears throat> it's staggering what the media has turned into these days. I don't know about QAnon. I don't know anything about QAnon. And maybe he believes in a couple things that I believe in. Maybe, maybe, he, maybe whoever QAnon is, maybe he's right about some stuff and wrong about other stuff. But not if you watch CNN. I mean, they're just queuing on now every third segment because somebody believes what they don't believe. How dare they? Unbelievable. It really is sectic. I, I am. When people ask me what I do for a living, I have to like find a way to not say I'm a reporter. 
Like I'm, I'm like I, I'm, I'm a, I, well, I have, a, I have a podcast and I'm a publisher. Like I, 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 get, I try to go as far as I can around the word reporter as I possibly can, because these people are just so monumentally stupid. I wouldn't hire one of these people to cover a Lawrence City Council meeting. Can you imagine this, this chick from NBC News? Sitting in a Lawrence City Council meeting where they're talking about like moving a stop sign five feet, and the only thing she's concerned with is does, does the vice president of the council believe in QAnon cannibals? Come on! It's almost like in January the the Earth rotated into like the twilight zone, and from January till now, everything is just the opposite of what it's supposed to be. Don't believe me? Let's talk about our next segment. Oh boy! So Sunday. Uh, I was asked to speak at a pro-police, pro-Trump rally. I almost said no because I didn't really want to speak at a pro-Trump rally. I really wanted to speak at a pro-police rally. So I geared most of my comments toward being pro-police. And as I'm speaking, this this guy, his name is, uh, I'm purposely going to get his name wrong because I, I don't want him to get any publicity because he desperately, desperately wants attention. So we're going to call him Rob Weaver. His name is close to that. Um, it's on my website. It's on uh, my Facebook page if you want to take a look. Um, so Rob comes through the crowd while I'm speaking with a giant sign in the shape of a penis because apparently he wishes his was that big. And it says Trump on it. And as he's making his way through the crowd, people are yelling at him. They're telling him to go home. Uh, a couple people started trying to get into his face. And then he storms the stage. I'm up on a gazebo. He storms up on the gazebo. And I just, I, 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 I've been watching this, this nonsense on television since George Floyd got killed. People getting in cops' faces, assaulting cops, and I was not about to let it happen. Before that, though, when he gets up on stage, this guy was purposely trying to get people to assault him. He had his GoPro camera, and he, I don't think he was live. I think he was videotaping. I don't think he was live. Um, and he was, he was purposely getting in people's faces, purposely verbally assaulting people, hoping that they would hit him so he could file a lawsuit. So after this whole thing is over, I'm going to jump ahead just for a second. After all this is over, he blogs. He's got his own blog. And he talks about how he was manhandled and, and, and repeatedly assaulted and that we threatened to kill him. Now, I was live the entire time, from the second this guy walked on the scene until the second this was over. Nobody ever threatened to kill him. Few people threatened to beat him up. I even asked him at one point, aren't you glad the cops are here to stop people from kicking your ass? I don't know if he took that as a threat, because stupid people can take anything as a threat. Stupid people can twist anything you say to make themselves a victim, and this guy certainly did that. So when he first climbs up on the gazebo to, to storm the stage, two of the guys that were doing security, they put their hands up. Hands up, don't shoot. No, that was a difference. He, they put his hands, he put his hands up because they knew what he was up to. They knew because these guys knew what these guys knew what this guy was up to, that he was gonna try and like fall or do something and try and pretend that they that they assaulted him. And I actually got this on video. This is what he calls the first assault that happened to him. Yeah, you're disturbing the peace. I don't get the first amendment. Because I sue motherfuckers like you. You're taking away my first amendment, right? I will fucking put you in bankruptcy. That's fine. 
First Amendment, fuck you. So I, so I, I gave the wrong intro. So for that video, um, he, he had gotten, a, this is after that, after what I just talked about. He's getting in the cops' faces. They're mother effers. They're pigs. He's threatening to sue them. Um, they're no good. He's screaming in their face, by the way, with no mask on, which to me is an assault in the age of COVID. If you're literally nose to nose with someone screaming in their face and little spitballs are coming off your, uh, off your mouth, to me, that's an assault. I give a lot of credit to these Wilmington cops for not kicking this guy's ass and arresting him. A lot of credit. So, as he's doing this, and I've been watching this on CNN and other stations, I usually watch CNN now, watching people get into cops' faces and verbally assault them, and every time I watch it on TV, I go, can't just one person get between that Antifa jerk and the cop and stop them from screaming in the cop's face? So, I'm standing there and I'm thinking of all the times that I said, you know what, if I was there, I would do something about that. So, I did. Hey, how about you stop harassing police officers? Get out of my face, dude. How about stop harassing police officers? What is this shit? Stop what harassing is this shit, officers? It's my country, oh, not harassing. yours. Oh. I work stop for harassing it. police officers. I work for it. My country. Get your hands off me. Get out here. This guy just tried to grab my phone. Get Don't touch him. Get out of here, dude. This is my country. Not yours. No, can't do that. Come on. 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 Let's get through that. So you're Bradbury, right? Uh, officer, what's your name? And now he hides officer. behind the cops. Officer, now he hides behind the head. cops. Are you in dereliction of duty? Yes, so. All right. How about you, officer? What's your name? Excuse me. Can you tell this man to get out of my face? No. You're officer? going to get in their face. I'm going to get in your face. I'm not getting in your face. You're getting in their face. I'm going to get in your face. No, I'm not. Yeah. You're in their face. You're in their face. Get out of I'm, I'm just trying to speak to law enforcement officers. So you can watch the video, lady. You know who they are. Oh, is that right? Yeah. This is the part of America. This is the part of who signs around America. No, no, don't touch him. Don't touch him. Oh, is that right? Did we lose the part where he says, help, help? So I guess we, we lost the part where he says, help, police, help. Are you going to help me with this guy? So on the one hand, we have to defund the police. We don't need cops. And they're all a bunch of pieces of shit. And they're pigs. And he's yelling motherfucker in their faces while the spitballs are flying off in the first one. And then as soon as I get in his face, it's help, help, police, help. He wants them to help him. And I'm like, nothing exhibits more what pieces of crap these Antifa dudes are. Nothing. And I've got a, a bunch of emails from people after this happened saying, Tom, Tom, you got this guy wrong. I know this guy. He's not Antifa. He's a libertarian. To which my response is, please explain the difference. There's not really much difference between libertarians and Antifa these days. Most of the people in Antifa are libertarians. They're either Communists are their libertarians, but really at this point, there's really not much difference. So um, we're going to do assault one. Is that it? What we're going to? Okay. So I so so he so desperately wanted someone to assault him so he could get it on video and then file his big lawsuit and pretend that he's like all important. Then he could blog about the lawsuit. Then he could blog about every hearing that he goes to, like he's really important, right? So here's the, here's the first one he called an assault on his blog.
Yeah, so it, it, I didn't see an assault there. I don't know if you guys saw an assault. Maybe I missed it, but I, I didn't see an assault. I saw I saw him trying to walk backwards and bump into them, and then him fall over with their hands up. I, I maybe that's an. I'm not an expert. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm pretty sure that's not an assault. I'm, there was no intent on their part to to hurt this guy. So a few seconds after that happens, I flip my camera back over to Jim Lyons because he. He jumped off the gazebo. He jumped over the railing of the gazebo and landed. I don't know if he landed on top of someone or if he hit someone and they fell on top of him. But he's now also calling that an assault. So let's watch this video. I'm, we can't see the beginning part, but it doesn't really look like he was assaulted. It looks more like he fell into the bushes on top of somebody. Uh-oh. Whoa, 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 whoa. We can't, no, we can't do that. Yes. Yeah, come on. Get him out. Get him out. Bye bye. Bye bye. So of course, all the women in my life are all pissed off that I got between this guy. They're like, he could, he could have hurt you. He could have done something. He could have followed you back to your car. I wasn't thinking about any of that. All I was thinking was, I'm not going to let this guy get, in, get into a cop's face. Because they're all so fucking brave when they know the cops can't do anything back. When they know that the cops are standing there and they're on video and they can't do anything back, they're all such heroes. Until you confront them. And then they become the little pussy Antifa dudes that this guy is. Help, help, police, help. Aren't you going to help me, he says. Aren't you going to help me? And by the way, I could hear the cops giggling behind me because they weren't going to help him. And really, quite frankly, I, I, I still want an answer to my question because I, I must have asked them three times after that. Aren't you glad? That, did you thank the cops for saving your ass from getting beat today? And I know he's counting that as a threat. He's saying that I threatened him because I said, aren't you glad they're here to stop us from kicking your ass? It doesn't mean I would have kicked his ass. But I'm pretty sure there's a couple people there that probably would have kicked his ass. And there's an old guy from Poland. He was a Polish immigrant. He came here from Poland. And I was talking to him afterwards. I guess his grandmother was in a concentration camp in World War II. His mom, either his mom or his, or his grandmother. And he said he, came, he and his family came to this country to get away from brown shirts like this guy. And he's the guy, he actually took the guy's sign and broke it up. And after he took the guy's sign, the penis sign, and he broke it into a million pieces, uh, the, uh, Rob Weaver turns around to the cops and goes, aren't you going to help me? Aren't you, you going to do anything about this? Aren't you going to help me? Not bad for a guy that doesn't want police. Like, what if there were no police there at all? That guy never would have made it out of there alive. But let's contrast that, by the way, because he didn't get assaulted. If he did, it certainly was not anywhere within my purview. But let's say he did get beaten up. Nobody would have killed him. They probably would have punched him. And then it would have been over. Now let's flip the scenario. What if Tom Duggan had a big, huge penis sign that said Hillary Clinton or Biden and walked into a Black Lives Matter? What if I had a big penis sign that said this is black people? And I walked into a Black Lives Matter protest in downtown Boston, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago. Think I would have made it out alive? You know and I know I would not have made it out alive. It wouldn't have been a beating. It would have been a murder. 
And that's the difference. Their side burns down police stations, burns down buildings, assaults innocent people, including the elderly, including black business owners. One black business owner who supports Trump was murdered. That's what they do when they're upset. Our side, we yell a little bit. The guy broke his sign. One guy tried to punch him. I I held him back. I told every single person that got near this guy, don't touch him. Because I knew that's what he wanted. He wanted somebody to assault him. So everybody that came near him, one lady had a flag, and the flagpole hit, like, touched, touched his head. And I'm like, listen, don't even do that, because he's going to run right to the cops and say it's an assault. Don't touch the guy. I must have told 100 people, no, don't touch him, because I wasn't going to give this guy the satisfaction. Then he goes on his blog afterwards, and it's, someone stole my phone, and those evil Trump supporters... <sighs> They broke my sign. <laughs> so while he's crying to the cops, um, um, if you want to watch the full video, it's on my Facebook page. Uh, while he's crying to the cops, I'm just m- unmercifully mocking this bastard. I'm going, wah, they stole my sign. Wah, mommy, wah. And he was so upset. You know, here's the thing with these guys. You've got to confront them. You have to. I know it's not safe. But you have to confront these people because they're all sissies, every one of them. Every once in a while, you, cut, you, you, you run into a real tough guy who will throw a swing. But when these guys come into like a Trump rally or a police rally and they're all by themselves, they don't have a bunch of guys with them, you've got to confront them because they've got a, a pattern in their head. They've got a, a boilerplate in their head of the different things that they want to do so that they can show certain things on their blogs later on to make themselves victims. And what he really wanted was he really wanted to get in that cop's face and touch the, touch his nose to that cop's nose and provoke him into arresting him or assaulting him. So I stood between them. Quite frankly, I'm a little disappointed there weren't more people up there standing between them. But it, well, that's okay. Listen, not, every, not everybody has thought this stuff through the way I have. Apparently, this guy, uh, you go, if you go on his blog, which you can't because I didn't give you his real name, um, he, he's... Um, Interviewing Noam Chomsky, the self-loathing, Jew-hating um, uh, socialist who hates America, hates the Jews, hates our freedom, hates police officers, hates our government. That's who this guy's hero is. So that was our pro-police rally. Um, my original plan was to come in and bring like parts of some of the best speeches, but this kind of far out eclipsed it. I think the fact that that guy walked away with no bruises on his face says an awful lot for us, for at least for our side. How are we doing on time? Good. Uh, what else do we have? We have, t- I have two more things real quick. Uh, actually, one more thing real quick. Uh, Methuen... Uh, do you guys remember the story I talked about when um, Ryan DiZaglio was here? Not the last time, but the time before, uh, when Principal Barden posted a Black Lives Matter rally notice to students in the Methuen Public Schools, not their parents, parents didn't find out about it, letting them know when the Black Lives Matter rally was going to be in Methuen. And I flipped out and called for the guy's resignation. And of course, I got inundated. Because all of my friends know this guy, and they all say he's the greatest guy in the world, and he's a great principal, and he's a super-duper human being, and he loves puppies and rainbows and, and, and all that stuff. Tom, you've got him all wrong. Well, maybe I do. Maybe he's the greatest guy. In, excuse me. Maybe he's the greatest guy in the world. But if you're a principal of a school or a teacher or an administrator in a school, you should not be sending notices to students about political rallies. 
And it's just as wrong for him to be sending out that email to the students about Black Lives Matter rally as it would have been if he sent out a notice saying that there's a Trump rally in Manchester, New Hampshire Friday. Please join us all. So Ryan Desaglio, who was here when I asked him the question, he didn't know anything about it because it was breaking while we were on the air. Then he came back two weeks ago and he said that he was submitting a, a new policy for the school department so that educators cannot use the emails a, to go directly to students without the parents being notified. That was the big thing, right? He was trying to obfuscate what the parents wanted by going directly to the students and emailing the students directly and not CCing the parents on it. And B, that you're not allowed to use it for politicking. And he's gotten a little pushback from the superintendent. Um, they're trying to water it down as much as they can. They're trying to make it as ambiguous as they can with as many exceptions as they can so that everybody can do what they want when all this issue goes away because that's what political people do. But... It survived a first reading. It's coming up to the next school committee meeting for a second reading. If you live in Methuen, you ought to give a call to your other school board members besides Ryan DeZoglio. Call, um, call uh, Jane Azani Pesci. Call um, who else is on that committee? Call the mayor's office, especially the mayor. When the mayor was here and I asked him about it, he had no problem with it. He had no problem with the, soup, with the, with the principal sending out an, an email to students, not parents, about Black Lives Matter. And I asked him, would it be okay if he sent out a thing for Donald Trump? He said he had no problem with that either. At least he's consistent. But I happen to think both of those are wrong. Teachers should be there not to promote their political views. Teachers should be there to teach students about math, science, history, social studies. Not transgender bathrooms, not gay marriage, not abortion, not global warming. Those are all political issues. But they should be teaching them how to add and subtract I pull up to Wendy's and, I, and, the, and, the, and my order comes to 1025 and I give the woman a 20 and then I find a quarter after she's rung it in and I give her the quarter so all she has to do is give me back a 10. But she already rang it in and it's already telling her to give a different amount and she stands there and stares at the amount and stares at what I gave her and you could actually see the corpuscles in her head start to explode because she has no fucking clue what to do. These are our public school graduates. They can't read a clock. They can't balance a checkbook. They, they, they know nothing about the First Amendment. They certainly know nothing about the Second Amendment. They can't make change, but they all know about global warming, transgender bathrooms, and abortion. So let's see if we can reverse that a little bit, and I think Ryan DeZoglio is on the right track for that, to try and stop some of the politicking that's going on in our schools. It's, it's, um, it's a little disheartening that when it happened... Did I overreact? Maybe. I guess there's a case that can be made that I overreacted by calling for the guy's resignation. Quite frankly, if he'd done a, a, a Trump rally notice, I'm pretty sure he would have been fired. He wouldn't have, had to, he wouldn't have been able to resign. They would have fired him. If he had posted, come to, the, come to the Make America Great, Build the Wall Trump rally to keep all the immigrants out of America, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have a job today. And you guys are too. But it was Black Lives Matter, and most, most educators are liberal. Most educators are liberal Democrats. They all belong to unions, even the administrators. Can you imagine that? They have administrators in the Methuen Public Schools that have unions. The whole point of unions is to go against administrators, but uh, that's an, a whole other show. Um, all right, what else do we have? Uh, a little bit on the COVID hysteria, and then we're going to take a quick break and bring up uh, Brett. Um, I, uh, it's been since March now, this, since this COVID thing happened, second week of March, maybe. We're now in August. Let's see if we can just talk about a little bit of common sense here for a minute. I have not changed my lifestyle, not one bit since this happened. 
We've had a show every week straight through COVID. We never stopped. I go to Cumberland Farms. I give the guy my credit card. And I use the same keypad as everybody else when I punch in my PIN number. Right? Every day I go out and I buy a pack of cigarettes, I'm using the same keypad as everybody else at the corner store. And there's nobody more vulnerable to corona than I am because I have an autoimmune disease. But I've never gotten it. In fact, I was at that rally on Sunday. No COVID. There were no, by the way, very few people wearing masks at that rally. Very few people. So there was no social distancing at all. People were hugging. People were standing shoulder to shoulder. So why is it that the whole world isn't just open again? Why isn't it all open again? Why? And it's power. It's our politicians have, have found a way to use this coronavirus to increase their political power over us. I can't even get Jessica Finicaro to get a picture of the, of the scholarship kid that we gave money to this, uh, this past week from the Great Lawrence Vogue. All the other kids, we have pictures of all the kids. They all came into the studio. We took pictures of all of them. They're all standing next to each other. Nobody's wearing a mask. We got great pictures for the paper. I sent her an email and said, hey, um, can you get a picture of you with your scholarship student without wearing a mask for the paper? Oh, no, no, Tom. Tom, federal gu- This is the email I got this morning. Federal guidelines state. As soon as I read that, I stopped reading. And, my, and, and I, I hit response, and I said, Jessica, do whatever you want to do. Like, I wasn't even going to finish reading the rest of that foolishness. I don't blame Jessica, by the way. I'm angry for Jessica. I'm not angry at Jessica. Jessica's a good kid. She's doing what she thinks is right. She's doing what she's told. She's listening to the experts because she's of that age. She's like early 30s where the government's right and the experts are right. We should listen to the experts. So she's doing what they're telling her to do. Even though they've lied and been wrong about every single thing they've said since the beginning of this happened, she still has faith. And that makes me angry, not at her, but angry for her. That there are still people that have goodwill that are going around believing what our government is telling them about this COVID-19 nonsense. Now, I'm not saying it's not real, because I know those of you who are on the other side of this love to twist my words and love to hear what you want to hear. I'm not saying it's not real. Of course it's real. People have died from it. What I am saying is it's not easily transmissible on surfaces the way they said it was, and they now admit that even though most people didn't get the follow-up memo. See, everybody got the first memo about how dangerous it was, but no one got the follow-up memos. It's not as easily transmissible by children. It's not as easily transmissible on surfaces, and yet nobody's going back to school. Everyone's afraid to go back to school. Unbelievable. Let's take a quick break, and then we're going to bring in Brett Ruman up here for the last half hour of the show. Um, if you want to see the entire video of uh, Antifa, what the guy I call Antifa pussy dude, because that's what I was calling him to his face, because he was trying to get people to assault him. I was trying to get him to assault me, because then I'd have a great lawsuit, and he didn't do it, because he, he was just having too much fun. This guy wasn't angry, by the way. He wasn't an angry guy. He was having a blast. This was his entertainment. This was his fun. And he was enjoying himself until I screwed up his thing and, and got in his face and stopped him from getting the reaction out of the cops that he wanted. So let's, let's roll up uh, Borelli's Deli and we'll bring up uh, Brett. Oh, look at those meats. Can you believe that? Oh, my God. Borelli's Deli on Merrimack Street in Methuen. I, I, I'm going there right after here. As soon as I leave here, I'm going to Borelli's. I'm going to get myself some turkey. And maybe some bologna. I'm actually a fan of liverwurst, too. I, for the first time, I had it like a year ago, and I was like, wow, this is what liverwurst tastes like? It's actually kind of good. I like it. 
So we're going to see Don Smerglio, and we'll get some uh, Borelli's Deli when we leave here. All right, let's come back to uh, to our, uh, our our guest. We had, sitting with me now is um, Brett Ruman. He called me out of the blue. He said, Tom, I've been investigating this Andy Puglisi thing for a long time. I don't know if you know about the story. We chatted a little bit. He asked me if he wrote up some of his findings, if we would publish them. I want to apologize out of the gate. I thought you wanted me to publish what you sent me. What you sent me was a rough draft. That's correct. Yes. So there was, I guess, a couple of things in there that weren't. And had had I edited this piece, my my editors edited this. Had I edited this, I would have caught um, the the first mistake in in the uh, first paragraph. But none of the mistakes were material mistakes. None of them were to do with like the investigation itself. Like you called the stadium projects the stadium lanes project. And that's an right. easy mistake for anybody to make because there was a stadium lanes on South Union Street, which was a bowling alley. Bowling alley, yeah. And then there was a stadium projects. So uh, forty years later, it's very easy to just mix that up in your head. So, so I, I, there there are some minor detail mistakes in this, but none of them are major. None of them have anything to do with any of the conclusions that have been drawn. Uh, in case people have not picked up this month's Valley Patriot, which you all should have, by the way. All of you should have picked up the paper, and you all should have read it by now, at least online. Um, so you're up on this story. Uh, for those who don't, though, for those who haven't, give us a little bit of a synopsis of uh, the case and then how you got involved in it. You know, it's kind of a crazy story. Um, I was about the same age as Andy in 1976. I was 10 years old. All right. And I went down to Zayas Department Store at about 10.30 in the morning, and thank goodness my mom was going to take us to the beach, the Salisbury Beach. And Zayas is where the uh, Registry of Motor Vehicles is now on South Union Street, next across from the stadium. Nope. This was the one on Jackson Street across from the China Tea House. Oh, okay. So you're on the other side of the city. Yes. Okay. So I was right on the Lawrence border. Yep. Um, I lived on Corner Street, which kind of went down Swan and Jackson Street intersection a little bit close. And I was 10 years old, and I went in the, in the back of theirs, and I, for 99 cents back then, you could actually get a hot dog, fries, and a Coke. Mm -hmm. I see this guy come in, kind of looked like a Vietnam vet that had some mental issues, long hair, very withdrawn. He orders a coffee, and then he's just gone. So I leave, and when I leave, he's sitting on the bicycle rack, and he's like, hey, kid, you want to make five bucks? And I got to tell you, Tom, I thought about it. Yeah. My first thought was, like, why would you even, why can't you take the trash out yourself, even at 10? But the age of innocence was so much older back then. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what a pedophile was. I didn't know what sex was about. But I knew there was something wrong with this whole thing. So I said, you know what, I can't, I, and I went home. Right. So I woke up uh, probably about four years ago. My son was 10, and the stories always bothered me. And I wasn't sure if this would fit the puzzle, but I, for whatever reason, I called the Lawrence police and just said, hey, this may mean nothing to you guys, but this is what happened. And, and sure enough, it turns out that this was probably had nothing to do with Andy Piglisi the whole bit. But it motivated you. It motivated me. Right. Yes, absolutely. I had a 10-year-old son. I, I thought of how my life would have been different if I took that five bucks. And I decided to watch the documentary. And when I did that... I noticed things in the documentary that I think just went over the policeman's head. They're very logical little things. And I think what really stood out to me, the number one thing, if you want to call it freaked me out, was that supposedly there's two or three people holding Andy down. The four-year-old gets away. Why were they so confident 
he wasn't going to go get an adult. I mean, you even talked about it. It was 100 yards from his home. Right. They weren't worried, Tom. And so I wrote to Melanie uh, Perkins McLaughlin, and I said to her, I said, Melanie, I said, there's something troubling about this. These guys were too bold. I said, did any cops call in sick the next day? Because typically, as you know, when you commit a murder, it's often, you know, you call in sick the next day. She said she didn't know about that. But what she said was that the officer patrolling the neighborhood the night that Andy went missing was released by the Lawrence PD several years later when, now that I found out, a North Andover cop pulled over an unmarked Lawrence police cruiser that had this officer dressed as a female in the driver's side, and there was also a 13-year-old boy that he supposedly was molested in the front, and per Melanie Perkins' own words, uh, he was in a very compromising position. So at that time, nobody would ever have thought that the school safety officer, which is what he was, would have done something like this. And I think it affects everything. They've searched the same area for 44 years. Um, even Melanie Perkins, as much as I you know, respect her documentary, it didn't turn up any new leads at all. Mm. And I thought there were some basic things you know, with this that people just overlooked. So I kept going and I kept going and I kept going. And sure enough, you know, I ended up speaking with a detective from the Lawrence PD. I, I don't want to mention his name, but he was on the case. And he told me straight out that... You know, the captain of the Lawrence PD had a press conference, and he needed a name to throw to the media, and he chose Wayne Chapman. And it was as simple as that, and Wayne Chapman came into the mix. Now, here's the deal. Wayne Chapman is a beast. He self-admitted to probably molesting over 100 kids. But even when I interviewed Dr. Fred Berlin, um, Fred Berlin is one of the most renowned experts on pedophiles and sexual behavior in the country. He's testified at the Jeffrey Dahmer trial, and he was very familiar with the Andy Puglisi and the Wayne Chapman connection. Mm -hmm. And what he said to me was that typically when you look at these pedophiles, there's a certain pattern of behavior, and they very rarely will deviate from that. And the pattern of behavior was that he saw no evidence whatsoever in Wayne Chapman's life of all the crimes that he committed. Where he had somebody team up with them to do it. Right. So you're saying that, that, that this guy um, had followed a pattern with all of his other hundred or so child molestations, but didn't when it came to Andy Puglisi, which I... There was no evidence. Which, yeah. ba- which back then, we didn't really know as much about criminology as we do now. Now we know most of these guys do follow patterns, and if there's a deviation, there's usually a reason somebody comes on the scene or something happens, but we, there's no evidence of that, though. No, and, and you got to remember, Tom, too, that this... This investigation really starts three weeks before Andy disappears. Andy came home with a Polaroid. It had a thumbprint on it. I don't know what happened to it. His mother wasn't happy about it. He said some guy gave it to him. I don't really think that's the whole story. But, um, you know, at that time, uh, Polaroids were were the latest, greatest technology for the police. And most of them had them in the cut. And for me personally... I took that as a truth or a, a trust test, you know? So Andy told his mom that some guy gave it to him. Mm-hmm. And that could have happened. I just don't see Wayne Chapman, who's into blondes versus brown-haired boys, driving from Providence, Rhode Island, all the way to Lawrence, Mass, to take a picture of Andy and drive back. Right. 
Sounds somebody local. Doesn't sound like somebody who lives in Rhode Island. Right. So when you started investigating this and you started getting pushback from Melanie Perkins, um, who is, you know, very respected journalist. Um, you she know, did great work. She, yes. She, she's, she's, uh, she has done great work, not just on this, but on a lot of other stuff. Absolutely. Uh, and you started getting, you know, some pushback from people. And I, some, look, I was talking earlier. I think a lot of times, because, because I'm a journalist, I'm, I, I do this for a living, um, we become very territorial and very proprietary about the information that we uncover. And I've done investigations where I've published my investigation. A guy like you comes along, I get really pissed off. And they're trying to poke holes in my story. And they actually do poke holes. They find one little thing that's a little different. And I get really upset. But then I have to count to 10, right? You get, right. You get mad. Right. You count to 10 and you go, you know what? I care more about making sure that my readers have the right story than I do that I was right. So I will always call the guy back and say, hey, listen, what else do you think I got wrong? Like, I'm always interested. Because I don't care if I'm right or wrong. I care that my audience gets the right information. I feel the same way. Right. If, if, I'm, if I've said something that's wrong, yep. I want it to be corrected. But right. it's, it's the opposite. Right. The coincidences, everything that just seems to add up. Mm -hmm. And you start looking, you know, you look at different family members. You start hearing what they said. You start seeing, you know, the, you know, other relatives' patterns of behavior. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, you, I, can, I actually found a court document. I'm not going to say the officer's name, but I found a court document on him and his brother going back to 1965. Wow. And it was very concerning because at the end of the day, this officer in about 15 years, lost two union-backed jobs. Wow. That's tough to do. Listen, it was, it was tough to fire cops back then. It's not quite as tough now as it was back then, but it was really tough to fire a cop. And I think even in the Lawrence Eagle Tribune, when they let this comp go, from what I was told, I have not found it because we had the pandemic and I couldn't get into the library to pull the, the microfilm on it. But yeah, I mean, it's... Tough. Tough. Yeah. It is. So now that, now that you've, you've, and you're still investigating, right? You're still talking to people all the time. You're still kind of looking in. Um, where do you think Andy is? Because I think the big, thing that, the big thing that has kept this alive for so long is that they, if they had found his body, there'd be some kind of closure. And I don't think we'd have 40 years later people talking about it so much. But because they never found him. Is, do you think he's still alive? Do you think... I don't think he's still alive. Um, I think that um, I don't think he's in a location where they've kept searching for 44 years. Even as most recently as five years ago, they had the state police out there. They've had psychics down there. They've had dogs down there. I mean, my uh, dogs, no scent. Yep. There's been there's been nothing. Nothing. Yeah. And that's what I said to Melanie last week in an email. I'm like Melanie. I said I'm not knocking you. I think you did great work, but for 44 years or whatever, we have nothing new. Mm -hmm. And so I said, to solve this case, somebody has to start thinking outside the box on this and take what we have for mm -hmm. facts. Take what we have. The only person that we know with 100% certainty was at that scene, at that night, was that officer. Mm -hmm. Same officer. Right. What is the probability, if you go out to Vegas and they're putting down the odds, that the night that a 10-year-old goes missing in a neighborhood in Lawrence, the projects... The cop patrolling that neighborhood's a pedophile, and he, several years and later... And he worked at the pool, too. 
He worked, he worked one of the he was one of the officers that worked the pool. I heard. Well, right. Well, he, I didn't know. I didn't know they separated the pool until you just said that. Yeah. But he worked the projects. He right. was actually patrolling the projects that night. Right. And I'm like thinking, like, what are the chances? So my thought is that this I've termed this guy a graduate level sex offender. He is so smart, which is probably why he only got caught one time. And I just. Um, I don't think anybody pursued this. I know, as I told you, that the officers thought about going after him, and they basically told me they blew it off. Mm-hmm. And I get it, you know? I mean, you look at Lawrence, houses blowing up, I mean, drugs, gangs. I mean, it's tough for them to go back and work on a cold case. Sure, sure. Um, why do you think several kids have gone missing over the last 40 years, right? There's been a lot of kids in the Merrimack Valley that have just gone missing that have never been found. Why do you think this one, why do you think this one has survived? People are still talking about it. I mean, I remember it because I, I grew up at 10 Boxford Street. Right. So I was literally three houses up from Osgood and Boxford, and right across that street was the baseball field, then the Kane School, and then, the, and then the, the pool. So I literally, I was at that pool every day when I was a kid, at that age. And when you heard about this, it was life-changing. Oh, it was, because it was my age. It was a kid that, that, you know, that I could have known, even though I didn't kid that I could have gone to school with, and I walked back alone, back and forth to the pool in the summertime. Sure. So I remember it, but uh, not everybody lived in South Lawrence. Not everybody had any kind of like personal kind of connection to it. So why do you think it survived 40 years or more that people are still talking about and people are still remembering? I think it's a good thing, but I'm just wondering why. Yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, to give credit to Melanie, I think she's kept it alive. Um a lot of the time. Yep. Um, I'm not saying I agree with everything she says in there. She's entitled to her opinion. I just think it needed a fresh set of eyes to look at it. Mm-hmm. And I honestly, when I, when I started taking on this task, I didn't think I would get as far as I did. Yeah. Because this officer, I've spoken to his kids. I've spoken to many different relatives. Um, and I also know that the way that I've approached I guess the family who I think had something to do with this was somewhat aggressive. They didn't come back at me like an innocent person I thought would have come at me. It was more, you know, don't bother us. Um, why are you doing this now type of mm-hmm. mentality? But when you say they had something to do with it, you mean no, not, about not, not the disappearance, but the yeah, because there were three people. If there were three people, I, listen, I'll even give Melanie Chapman. I'll tell Melanie, you know what? You can have Chapman. He's guilty. Who are the other two people? Right. Okay, if we're going to count Chapman, fine. But we know with certainty that there were three people. And I guess my thought was that with three people, you've got three times the chance right. of getting somebody to talk. So, I listen, I reached out to Jay Leno's attorney, Steve Levine, out in L.A. Um, he called me back, very nice guy. And I asked him to ask Jay Leno to put down a fifty dollars to $100,000 reward. I know I was asking a lot. Mm-hmm. I told him to make sure Jay's not going to feel guilty if he can't do it. Because once he does it for one, you're right. going to get a ton of other people right. looking for it too. So right. I get it. But here's the deal. If you put that type of reward out there, I think you get an answer. Yeah. If you put 5000 out there, you're not going to get the answer. Right. But I really believe... And Steve Levine, Leno's agent, he's like, do you really think this, this will work? I'm like, yeah. I said, I only want the reward out there for four weeks. Right. If they call on day 31, you get a pat on the back. That's it. Right. But it has to lead to the arrest and conviction in the case of Andy Puglisi or a body location. Somebody knows something. And, 
you know, uh, in every conspiracy, like, you know, we were talking about conspiracy theories earlier. Um, I'm not big on conspiracies because if there is a conspiracy, like the 9-11 conspiracy people and all that, somebody always talks. Whenever there's more than two people involved, somebody always talks. I, I know that um, they, that civil rights uh, uh, leader died about 15 years ago. And um, no, it wasn't a civil rights leader. There was a guy that killed a civil rights leader who died like 15 years ago. But he put it in his, in his diary, what he did. Mm-hmm. And when he died, his son found it and came forward. And there was this big revelation, right? Somebody always talks. There's always something there. And I, unless everybody involved is dead, unless, you know, like 100 years from now, no one will. But I, I think there's definitely a chance that we could still find out. And, and, and if there is, that's why I wanted to have you on. Because if there is a chance that somebody out there knows something through all of this publicity, maybe they'll come forward and maybe we'll find an answer. It may not even be any answer that we thought of before. And, and, and this guy is this officer's brother. So it would be his nephew, um, his op- the officer's brother's son, who was this cop's nephew. And here's the deal. I spoke to him, um, and he was going to talk to his dad, who's ri- this cop's brother. He ends up emailing me back. He's like, no, sir, I can't help you out. And mm-hmm. i got to be honest. I mean, my first thought was that if my son... I don't care what age he was, said he got a phone call from an investigative journalist and was asking questions about my uncle. I would have said, give me the name, give me the phone number. I got to talk to this guy. Right. What, what's this? It's not like that. Wow. They're, they've all hushed up. Has the family contacted you? Um, I, I, I think I got a, an email from one of the family members saying that that you should be dropping this. Why are you doing this? This is all wrong. It's hurting our family. Well, I get that. But, you know, here's the thing. Um, per the email I got from Melanie Perkins last week, she's doing a podcast on this in 2021. She's already done a podcast about six, 12 months ago. So what I see is that it's okay if Melanie Perkins does it. Anyone else that tries to come in on this, I'm looking like the bad guy. And I got ripped on, you know, Facebook and I wasn't accurate. And we went back and forth, and you know, because it was a four-year-old witness who kind of saw a lot of what happened. And her and I went back and forth on how many people he saw. And I eventually sent her over the two texts that I had from this young man. His name is Ray Clark. He was in the video um, of the documentary. And he clearly states on two occasions that there were three people. Right. Clear. Mm-hmm. So um, you get a pedophile cop patrolling the neighborhood that night. Um, yeah, it's so coincidental. Like, if that guy didn't do it, how coincidental is that? I, mean, I fell over my chair. Yeah. Like, I wasn't expecting that sort of reply. Right. I was, like, expecting, you know what, Brett? Great question. I don't know if any cops called in. It was 1976. Right. And I'm like, fine. I get it. Right. But I wasn't expecting that. Right. Um, where do you think this goes from here? Well, the good news, I think, from us running this story is that I was contacted by the Mass State Police this week. Oh, great. And they were actually instructed, um, probably with some of your help, um, one of the Lawrence officers told the state trooper to give, you know, reach out to me that I might have some good info for him. Mm-hmm. So I want to thank you for that because I know that you've kind of put me on a... Yeah, I've been telling everybody, everybody that yeah. I've talked to if they know anybody to, to give you a call. Absolutely. And we're seeing that now. So I have a nine o'clock um, meeting with him on the phone on Friday morning, mm-hmm. but I basically have typed up everything for him. So he doesn't have to worry about writing notes on the call. He can ask questions and fill everything in right, at right. that point. But 
So will you, um, are you working on like a documentary? Are you looking to turn this into a book? Or are you just doing this because you're doing it? You know, it started off, um, I was doing it because I was doing it. And I went to college, you know, I wanted to be an investigative journalist, you know, All the President's Men, it was one of my favorite books. Um, it never happened. I ended up spending 30 years in sales, which I still do. But we're, look, was, we're looking for salespeople, by the way, if you're interested. Oh, well, we can Always talk looking. about that. Yeah, Always I looking. could be multitasking, sure. you know. Um, but it was just uh, one of these things where it just kind of, it happened. Right. And I found that I was very into it. Um, the key is to not become too emotionally attached to the case. Right. And I just want to state, too, that I, even with the family being upset that I'm working on this, it's important that they all understand. This is not just about Andy. Right. We don't know how many other victims are out there. Right. What about them? Right. There's no way that you get caught the only time you did it. Right. And remember, this cop went on to work. I won't say the state or the agency. He went on to work for a counseling place that preached that they come into your home and counsel you in the comfort of your own surroundings. Here's the deal. This cop was so smart. He could have counseled children or teens in the home. He did not do that. He chose to counsel severely mentally ill adults that had children in the home. Uh, and that was from 1999 to 2012. Wow. Wow. So what's, you know, I did notify the Nashua PD in right. the New Hampshire cold case on that. Right. So, you know, I did fill that and let the state. How much time have you put into this? It seems like you've done a little. Two and a half years. Wow. Two and a half years. Wow. A lot of work. Yep. Um, there were some things that I was a little bit hesitant to put into print. But when I saw Melanie put it into print, it kind of made it an open game. Sure. So, you know, she was more specific. I said that, you know, the officer was found with three underage kids in the car. She was more direct, that the 13-year-old was, or whatever this cop was, was in an awkward position that he shouldn't have been in. Right. And that's why he got let go. But we all know, like back in the 70s, early 80s with the church, everything, that's how things were handled. Right. And we didn't know back then about pedophiles, what we know today. And one of the reasons I always get upset when people attack pedophile, the, 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 the church for moving pedophile priests in the 70s, because we didn't know it was a compulsion back then. We didn't know that they couldn't help themselves, that once they did it, they were going to keep doing it forever. We didn't know. We, we didn't know. And so back then, we just thought it was like anything else. A guy can choose to rob a bank. He can choose to molest a kid. He chose to molest a kid. He was a priest. Let's remove him from the environment. Let's get him counseling. Let's... And, and then put him back into a church. And I, I honestly don't think that the bishops back then um, knew, because nobody knew. We didn't know what pedophilia, we didn't understand what we understand the today. The behavior. About, right, and, yeah. right, that there's patterns to their behavior, that, that it comes from them being molested when they were kids. And they really deviate from it, Right, too. right, yeah, no question, no question. So where do you go from here? Well, here's the, you know, th there's a lot of coincidence that, that have really hit this. Um, you know, I, I gave the state trooper some things that I want him to do. Coincidentally, um, a girl that I went to school with, her mother married this guy. The cop? Yes. Okay. So, for me personally, I think I'm a little too close to home right. for her to talk to me. Sure. So, when I talked to the state trooper on Friday, I've already mentioned this to him. My opinion and advice would be to have a female officer 
contact her and talk to her. Right. Yeah, no, good Because idea. you know what? You, you're going to get an idea right away right. of what this guy is like. Now, he is so good, and she was very attractive, that people that I've talked to don't think that he could have stayed away. But this guy's so smart and so good. Mm-hmm. I think he would have. Yeah. Because if anything came back to bite him, he could go to court, an attractive stepdaughter who says nothing but good things about him, and he's off. Right. And even if he had been caught back then molesting a kid, he wouldn't have done a lot of time because back then they didn't get a lot of time for that. No, no. Right? No, and they didn't want kids testifying and right. that you know, plea bargaining sure. still goes on today. Right. I mean, there's no reason these people should be going back out on the street. And I get it. You know, you don't want to traumatize the kid anymore. But here's the deal. If they're going to get out, that kid, when they're growing up, they're going to be thinking about that. Other people are going to think about it. So, you know, that's a whole different topic about getting kids to testify mm. and put these people away for life. Right. Yeah. Well, Brett, where are you from originally? Born and raised in Methuen. Um, I grew up about a six-minute drive from the pool where Andy disappeared mm-hmm. from. So I was born and raised there, and I moved up to Kittery about 16 years ago. So you finally you left Massachusetts. I did. It's something I have yet to do, but it's certainly on my list. I still miss it. As I, things as, yeah, but it's getting more and more crazy every day. The you food. Know? I miss the food. Yeah, the food's excellent. You know? I moved to, um, I was lived in Auburn, Auburn, Opelika, Alabama for about a year. Oh, no way. And, okay. when, I, and when I came back, I could yeah. not wait to come back because there was literally two places to eat in the entire town. And it was like you know, a burger place and a breakfast place. And that was it. And you, when you're in Lawrence, you can go anywhere. You can get Chinese food, Japanese food, Lebanese food. You can get kibbe. You can, I mean, but every, even if we have like, like pizza and Chinese food, it's not the same as it. Right. Yeah. No, it's not. Not yeah. even close. Not even, no, no. No. It's totally different. So, yeah. But, you know, I still love coming back here. I mean, I was driving down 28 today. I was like, my goodness. It's been a long time. Yeah. A lot of development. A lot of changes. Yeah. Sure. Well, that's because all the mass people are moving up to New Hampshire because they're sick of all the regulations that are killing them in mass. But then when they get here, they go, oh, yeah, but now we want full-day kindergarten. And they want all the, all the stuff that screwed up Massachusetts. Now they're, they're turning New Hampshire from red to blue. Right. Exactly. You know? Agreed. So, any final thoughts? You know, I'm, I'm, yeah, my final thought would be that, you know, I've been trying, um, like, heck, I've reach, reached out to business owners in the community. Um, I would love to put up some sort of reward. So if there is somebody out there that is maybe willing to put up a reward for this, even just for four weeks, um, I guess reach out to you, Tom. It's probably the best way to do it. Yep, absolutely. But I think a reward right now, um, it's never been offered. So there's a good Samaritan out there with a great heart that wants to, you know, make a difference. Somebody knows something. They do. Whether it was a fellow officer, whether it was somebody who lived in that neighborhood that was looking out their window when it happened. Somebody knows something. Without a for, doubt. For sure. There's got to be somebody out there we know that knows something. And if you do, please just reach out. And if you want to remain anonymous, we'll let you do that. And if you don't, that's okay, too. Uh, Brett, thanks for coming. Yeah, I appreciate Thank you. Thank you for having me Thanks on. for getting me in trouble. I say whenever someone writes to me <laughs> and I start getting hate mail and I get in trouble, that's the kind of stuff that I like. Yeah. Well, it means people are reading your, the, right. the paper. Yeah, so right. that's the good news, right? We also want to thank uh, Matt and Sam and Janet McLennan from McLennan Real Estate. Uh, our good friend, Lisa Williams, get your COVID-19 test at uh, AFC Urgent Care in Methuen. Uh, our buddy, Ron Marsan, Ron Marsan and Sun Construction. Uh, the uh, Climate Designs. I talked to Nina last night at Climate Designs for the first time. She's back. 
Uh, we miss Nina. Uh, so if you ha- have any climate issues, make sure you talk to her. Karen Ferrillo over at Horizon Home Care. Barali's Deli. You saw those meats during the break. Oh, my God. They're so good. Uh, JG's is finally on board. <laughs> Officially. JG's Ice Cream. Uh, I also want to say uh, uh, a quick uh, free shout-out to Don's Sign Tech in North Andover, T.A. Sullivan Insurance in Methuen, and attorney Paul Lambert. Thank you, Ben Kitchen, my fine, fine producer, for putting up with all my baloney uh, and all, uh, all the work that I put you through before the show. I want to thank um, Brett for coming in. And Melvin Taylor says we got to go home. So go home already. Telling you to go home Telling you to go home Telling you to go home The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.